Salam and welcome to another TMB podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host Salim Qasim, and I want to start by apologizing to everyone. Um, we've had, we haven't had, I guess, a podcast for a couple of weeks now. Um, things have just been incredibly busy at the moment. Um, loads is going on, um, and it's meant that it's been quite difficult to find the time to um book in guests and record and everything else but i i i so i genuinely apologize and i hope uh to be able to get back into a routine very soon i've got another podcast lined up for next week um but uh right now things are a bit sporadic but hopefully once things settle down um, we'll be able to um get more regular you know back, back to the weekly schedule basically um i think as people's lives are kind of returning back to normal um but anyways, back to this week's podcast. Um, I'm blessed to be joined by a very good friend of mine, Said Hussein Maki. Um, he's an Islamic lecturer. He's been studying in, in Beirut for some years now. Um, and, and just an all-round quite um, inspiring and kind of God-centric guy, I think. Um, so... We've been wanting to do content together and we wanted him to do some something with the Muslim vibe for years now, but he's always out studying. And then when he comes here, he's kind of like lecturing for a few days and then he's back out. Um, but we were able to find some time. Um, and we... So I, you, obviously you will hear the conversation that we have, but why I really wanted to get him on is that I think there's like a very unique way in which he talks about god and religion um and it's quite a, an empowering thing so like even i remember when we were having the conversation um i was thinking back to um some lectures that he gave last year i think when he was in london and i had the same kind of thing where like it's all so simple um and it's all just anchored around god um so i so i called him up and i said you know I, I, let, let's let's do a podcast and i want you to kind of talk about some of these things and some of the things you mentioned in your lecture series and whatever else and we had like 20 minute half an hour phone call we kind of mapped out what we're going to discuss um and then we got into we got into record uh a couple of days later in fact it was like over a week later and then he's like i was like oh should we just recap what we discussed he's like no no, no let's just freestyle it um so we kind of just started the conversation and and just saw where it went um I, I i loved it to be honest um i always enjoy his company and conversations with him um and that's that's it really uh if you did actually or if you do enjoy this podcast uh there is potentially an opportunity for us to uh record more with hussein um so please reply as in like message email whatever um, post on social media, tag us, um, let us know and or let me know and I will um, be sure to record something else because he's in London for a while, very short time but I, I'm going to try and um, get him back in uh, if, if, if there is a, a decent response from people so please do let us know. Um, that's everything, uh, without further ado here is my conversation with Said Hussein Maki. Salam Hussein. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Thank you very much for 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 coming on the podcast. I I, I think it's it's worth people knowing the background that you you owe me uh, quite a few <laughs> favors now because um, yeah. a few a few years ago I was out in uh, in Lebanon. Yes. And we were due to meet. It's about three years ago now. About yeah. three years ago. Two yeah. two or three yeah three years ago. Yeah. Um and you you flopped. I mean I had a car accident. Yeah. 
listen, so, so circumstances, are important. circumstances are not important. Um, <laughs> there was that. And then you've come to London. So obviously you're from London originally. You've come to London every so often. And we've, we've had like brief moments of being able to meet up and chat and whatever. Yeah. Um, but we haven't sat down like this. Um, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, it's quite exciting, to be honest. <laughs> um, so where to begin? Wherever you want, my friend. I think um, there's so much to talk about, isn't there? We've got a lot to catch up on yeah, personally, but, but let's you have park, to specify it. Let's park that to one side, right? So I, I think for me, um, when when you said yeah, let's do a podcast, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about quite a few things. So recently, you've been talking about uh, you did a, a lecture series and you're talking about the prophets, yes, um, and stories from the Quran, which I thought was was really interesting, and, and there's stuff that actually we we want to do, or we're going to be doing some more of, but. Um, the year before that you were in London and you delivered 10 lectures and it was all kind of shaped around um, the love of God. Yes. Uh, and what was quite striking for me personally was that there was something in, and because I know you personally as well, and I, I've known you for, for a long time before you were studying and everything else, and maybe we'll do another whole podcast on, it, on it that whole one. journey. Yeah, it's been about nine years almost, nine, ten years. It, it's been a long time, but but there's, there's there was something, or there is something in the way that you, when you talk about God, and when you're talking about all of these, these notions of loving God and, and really embracing um, the spirit of Islam and everything else, that there's, there's a, a really deep kind of passion um, and and belief and and almost serenity as well in the way that you kind of deliver these talks. Um, I wanted to. I, I think I if we start with that, like what? Mm. Okay, if if we approach Allah as a concept and a, as a as a topic, as you know, our uh, Creator and our Master and everything else, um, what does Allah mean to you? Mm. That's a bit big. I'm sorry, no, but it's okay. let's no, jump it's, in from it's there. A, no, it's a great question. So, I think. Yes, I do use love as the launch pad to talk about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But I think that when human beings, especially in their younger years, um, when they think of God or the concept of God, even in when it comes to parents, for mm. example, because when we're young, we don't fully understand the concept of God, but we see God in our parents. Uh, father as the protector or the one who provides, for example. The mother, the one with kindness and mercy that you can go to and cry with. We see that in our parents almost as if God is training us for the times in which our minds can comprehend the transcendent, ultimate divine being. From the beginning, all that love that you have for your parents, so all that love that you have for your siblings, or all that love that you have for, let's say your crush in high school or any other thing, any other passion is actually, I mean, from the Islamic tradition, this is the case. And even how I feel about it, this is the case. It's actually the love of Allah. It's just that we don't always identify it as Allah. What do I mean by that? So just to get into a, a bit of technical terms and perhaps if you want to change the question afterwards, you can. Because I don't want to take too long on one question. No, go for it. But um, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates the human being with very special attributes. And if we want to look at how the human being works, you don't want to look at those parts of him that make him a human being. So if you look at a car, if you want to know what a car does, you don't look at the color of the car, as in it's a green car or a blue car. You look at, okay, it has tires, it has a motor. So, you know, it's a vehicle that can take me from A to B. So you know that this is the core foundation of what a car is or a vehicle. The human being, the core foundation of what it is, is in what we call the fitrah. 
the innate nature of the human being. Yeah. This attraction, like a magnet, which we also can call love. You are attracted to that which you love. This is your fitrah acting now. From when you're young, you may be attracted to your parents in that you love them, that you seek protection from them or anything else. In our adult years, most people right now, if you look outside, everyone has this love. Their fitrah is working, but it's not always identifying it correctly. So people love money. People really are attracted to power. People are attracted to fame. People are attracted to all these different, what I would call idols, because they believe that to be God. Everyone worships. Everyone worships something mm. because their fitrah is attached to it. It's a magnet attracted to it. So, so sorry to cut you off, but are, are you saying then that as human beings, we have this natural affinity towards worship? We have a natural affinity towards loving what is perfect. Oh, to, towards, yeah. And when we love what is perfect, we worship it. So worship comes after the love of it. So I find ultimate power in money. So I'm so attracted to it. Ultimate power is money. Of course, in reality, this may not be the case. And it isn't the case because money perishes and you die and you can't take it with you. Yeah. And money is limited. But you have an attraction to it that it takes over your entire day, every day, every week of every month of every year. That's all you think about. What is that except remembrance of ultimate power? Because you love ultimate power, but you think it's money. When you see fame, people love, people loving. That means you are, want right now, you want to be a partner with God. Because the hearts are supposed to be only for Allah. Allah malikul qulub. He's the owner of the hearts. But no, I want, see me, love me, be with me, look at me. Now I want to also, you see, because you love these special attributes of Allah. You want them. You're attracted to them. The problem here is when the aql, the intellect, is not being paired with the fitrah, with the innate nature. Mm. So one has to have a foundation of intellect with this love and innate nature. When the intellect is working, then you can identify what ultimate power is. You see, ultimate power, ultimate life, ultimate wealth is one that's not dependent, one that is not reliant upon anything, one that's alive. All these are the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You identify it. Your aql is the one that, if you want, situates the compass. But the aql can't go to him. The, the love goes to him. The innate nature goes to him. The fitrah goes to him. So, if I understand correctly, what you're saying is that our fitrah is, is almost perfect and complete from its uh, origin, from its essence, yes. right? But our aql and our knowledge and our understanding of the world is flawed. So, so that at a certain point in time, we might see money as perfection or power as perfection or status as perfection. Yes. And so our fitrah wants to strive towards perfection. Yes. And so therefore we strive towards things other than God yes. because that's what we perceive to be our, and as you put them as yeah. kind of false idols. Yes, that's true. So the fitrah wants to go, but the fitrah is just a magnet. It doesn't know how to go. It is ready to go, mm. but you have to tell it where to. The aql tells it where to, but when the aql isn't used correctly, properly, and your mind is, that's why we say shaitan, yuzayyin ad-dunya, zina. He decorates the dunya for you. He tells you, this is God. And you go and you make this your God. Even, that's why when someone says, I don't believe in Allah, I believe in science. I don't believe in God, I believe in science. Mm. As if science is a God to be worshipped itself. That that in itself becomes a worldview and a paradigm that you are attracted to because it answers all your questions. So it's al-alim, it's ultimate knowledge. 
total knowledge, which science is not, of course, but this person would say it is. Yeah. The, the one who believes in scientism. So even all these attributes, don't you notice that the attributes of Allah, all these attributes are the ones that we call, he's the one who has all knowledge. He's the one that has all life. He's the one that's eternal. He's the one that has all power. He's the one that has all wealth. Yet we see that in all these different false idols. So really and truly, when I'm speaking about Allah and love, I'm not doing anything differently than what everyone else is doing. But what I'm trying to do is through the Islamic tradition is allow the aql to identify where God is on my internal compass and let the rest of my love do the talking and my love to go to him. Because religion without this aspect becomes something very robotic and dry when there isn't that fitrah that's taking you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When it's just aql. And likewise, when it's only love and only feelings and emotions and no aql, you can easily sway. One day this is your Lord and the next day something else will be your Lord. There's no set path, objective way for you to live your life by God, through the love of God. You need both. And in fact, this is the way that the Prophet built the tradition of Islam and how the Ahlul Bayt built the tradition of Islam. It's, religion is different to any other form of, or field of knowledge. If I'm teaching chemistry or psychology or uh, biology, you don't have to love the theories within those fields of knowledge. Okay, I understand two plus two equals four, mathematics. I don't love two plus two equals four. It makes sense, okay. But when I believe Allah is one, yeah. and the Prophet Muhammad is his messenger, and the Quran is his book, Prophet Muhammad is a prophet of God, I have to love him. It's not just a theory that I believe in. I believe two plus two equals four. And I believe that Jesus is a prophet of God. And I believe that Moses is a prophet of God. But is me believing Moses as a prophet of God, the same as me believing two plus two equals four? No, I have to love Moses. I have to love Jesus. So love in religion is what separates it from every other field of knowledge when it comes to... So, sorry, you, you, I remember now when, I was, when, you were, when you were giving some talks in London last year, I remember that I've got the same feeling now that I had then, which was that you present things in a very different way to how I've previously perceived them or, or, or even heard them said. And what I mean by that is, is just now you were talking about uh, love and, and the essence and then religion almost being like the instruction manual to achieve that. And you, you have to combine the two together. 100%. Um, That's exactly it. That's the point. Some so, people uh, call it just dogma. It's not just dogma. Yeah. It's something to bring it back. Yeah, yeah. Once you have those feelings, you need something to bring it back and ground yourself with. But, but this, is, this has been the problem for me, right? That, that we've been taught as kids religion. We haven't been taught the love and the fitra and the essence. And, and I feel like personally that, and I don't know what you're, I mean, you know, you, you've, you've brought up in London, you then went off to, to, to Lebanon and you've been studying there for several years now, coming back and meeting people, friends, the community, giving talks and interacting with people. What's your perception been of how, where people are at, just in this very basic concept of love, essence, religion, and tying it together? Are people struggling? Because I think, I think I personally am, and I'm sure others are. Think, well, what have you seen? I think my brothers and sisters are oppressed. And I think Islam is oppressed. And we're trying to bring both of those oppressed entities together. I think if people look at what Islam, the richness it has to offer, true Islam, I believe Islam has still been undiscovered by many Muslims. If we come to the tradition, unfortunately, there's also a language barrier. I mean, because of so much of our tradition is written in Arabic, and I believe that's changing over time. But when it comes to these topics, especially, it's they're, they're philosophical in, in some manner, mm. and not everyone has 
the ability to understand philosophy even when it comes to their you know an English language or any other language when it's translated so it's difficult so you need more people to bridge that gap so I'm hoping to act as a bridge and I'm hoping that many others also go out there to study and act as that bridge so we can speak to people in those languages which they understand so we can understand these books and understand the language of the people at the end of the day the book cannot talk cannot speak you have to be its spokesperson but you have to have knowledge to understand this so it's not easy to study 10 years to understand this book but when you think of if Rasulullah is telling you that you must help the oppressed and when I think of my Muslim brothers and sisters I think of them being oppressed when it comes to them even knowing about Allah and knowing about Islam because we say the beginning of religion is to know Allah so if we cannot even come to understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we're calling ourselves Muslims because the because of the circumstances that we're living in, maybe someone is not because of their own shortcomings, but language barriers, cultural barriers, you know, modernity has made it very difficult for someone to break out of the modern material paradigm. I mean, a lot of us are oppressed. So hopefully, knights, people people of knowledge can act as knights, truly, in this battle that is ongoing right now for the souls of the people. And right now, the battles taking place right now are transcendent. Mm. And it's through knowledge and these books. And it's through the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that one carries the most powerful sword. So I, I think for me, the next question then is, is that once you open your, your mind and I guess your heart as well to this notion of loving Allah and truly embracing that and almost trying to lose yourself in that and, and using hopefully religion as the guide to steer that and... and um, I guess I, I've written down here from the phone call we had unifying your will with the will of Allah. Yes. Um, and I'm sure you can elaborate on yes, that and tell yes. us more about that. But I, I think, and, and something that I always try and do is, is, is when we're having these philosophical type conversations, is what's the practical manifestation of this? So in my day-to-day -day life, once I've, once I've identified that I have a disconnect between um, I embracing, um, loving Allah and tying that in with religion, because I've probably, and, and many people have probably grown up doing a lot of things uh, in a religious sense, in a very robotic fashion, where the essence has been lost. How, how do we kind of rekindle that spirit and rejoin the two aspects? Yes. So again, I would say, if you want to begin this journey of love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're a Muslim already, so the belief system is there. We're yeah. not trying to work right now on convincing you that Allah exists or the Prophet is a messenger. Okay, I believe these things intellectually, logically, fine. What I would say is come to the prayers within the Islamic tradition and you'll find the most beautiful of these prayers and du'as in the book, which now it's a book, but before it was scrolls, it was, a, it was a treasure chest of scrolls before. It was only given to those people who would be mystics who can handle these words. It was preserved. These scrolls, which we now call Al-Sahifa Sajjadiyya of Imam Sajjad alayhi salam, who is the great-grandson of Prophet Muhammad, the son of Imam al-Hussein So Imam al-Hussein, of course, was uh, martyred in Karbala. His son, Imam Sajjad, was in Karbala too, but he was the only male survivor. And his life was one of deep love matched with the sorrow that he felt. But because now he had all the ingredients needed, he had Habibullah Muhammad, he had... Imam Ali alayhi salam. He had Sayyidah Fatima. He had Imam Hassan, Imam Hussein. He had this tradition now of Ahlul Kisa 
that's right in front of him and Karbala and all the du'as that Ahlul Kisa had brought forth. Now he begins the school of love. Imam Sajjad, you'll find, you won't find many hadith from him when it speaks about jurisprudence, for example, or law. Now he focuses on how to speak to God. He would purchase slaves from the slave market only to release them. But before releasing them, their only duty was for them to come and learn these prayers with him. He releases them, then they go and teach love to others. So you read in these du'as, one being du'a Abu Hamza Thamali, how one speaks to Allah, how one in their lowest point come back to God. And he even says these beautiful words, which again are always passed on from his father and his grandparents. He always says that even, Ya Allah, even if I come to you and my sins and my actions have kept me silent all this time, See, I get goosebumps when I remember these words when he writes them. I always feel silent because how could you accept someone like me? I know what someone like me is and what someone like me does. I know my heart is dead. But then I come to you and I speak to you not because of the sins of my actions, but because of your mercy. Your mercy allows my tongue to speak. Who you are, with you always coming back to me, every time I turn away from you, you come to me. He reminds you how much God loves you. And that's something we forget a lot of the time. We forget that we're blessed. We forget that we're loved. When someone feels blessed and loved, it makes such a different a difference in their life, psychologically speaking. So they, their whole life daily becomes different when you feel God's watching you and loves you. Imam Sajjad reminds you, whoever you are and whatever you have done, no matter what point you're at, you can return. He, he opens the doors of repentance. After him, you'll notice Imam Baqir and Imam Sadiq, they begin to institutionalize these prayers. So Imam Baqir comes and focuses on fields of knowledge only, no du'as. Imam Sajjad was focusing on prayers, dhikr, tears, crying, remembrance and prayer. Then he comes with fields of knowledge again and they combine it. Imam Sadiq, the teacher of uh, Abu Hanifa and Imam Malik, he comes and he combines it. He combines, he brings you the prayers and the love and he brings you the fields of knowledge and the sharia and the path, the way, the tao, the whatever way, whichever religion wants to speak about all have that way. We call it the sharia. The sharia is the objective way to act, to act in accordance with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants for you and that's where it comes in that line that we spoke about before to unify your will with the will of Allah. It's literally to ask yourself the question. Once you bring that love into your heart through your prayers and your remembrance and your contemplation and you are living by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's will, you want to always question yourself, what does Allah want from me right now? What does Allah want from me today? If anything, any opportunity comes your way, if a task comes your way, any objective comes your way, people are in need, you ask yourself, what does Allah want from me right now? Then you're always doing something for God, sincerely. Your intention is always going towards Allah in everything. Do you know if you die on that path, if you die living that way, you've unified your will with the will of Allah, you've been manifesting His names, you're becoming like Him, which is the point of what this religion is. Be like God, be like Allah, manifest his names. So um, just on, on the last thing that you mentioned, I think what's difficult sometimes from, again, my own personal experience is that when we set out to do something, so let's take the Muslim vibe as an example. We set out to launch the Muslim vibe for the purpose of God, you know, to serve Allah, to, to, to you know, do X, Y, Z, whatever. 
it's I find that with with this and with everything else along the way you get lost yeah. right and and you you suddenly start thinking about oh look how many followers we have and like oh people are like shouting out the Muslim vibe and massages your ego and whatever else yes. the the difficulty I think um is is how we kind of maintain that sincerity and what I find as well is that when you sit down and like when I was sat and you were giving those talks uh, last year, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm, I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Like, this is it. I'm going to unify my will with the will of God. Like, that's it. No one can stop me. And then like you get home and you just forget all about it. Right. <laughs> there's that, there's that natural kind of thing that yeah. we have where you just suddenly just, uh, you can't um, maintain that, that, um, that vigor and that, that fire within. Um, I guess, yeah, the question is how, how 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 do you maintain that? Because I think it's, it's it's the standard thing. Like I think back when you know when when we're talking about this kind of stuff in conversation with God and whatever else, I always think back to moments for myself, like going for Hajj, which was such a hugely spiritually uplifting time. Um, and 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 you know you have moments on Hajj that you you probably can't have anywhere else because it's you know you're you're so close to to Allah and you're spending days almost like in a in a state of, obedi of obedience, right? Because you're the, the whole process of when you put your haram on till the end, you're there, you're like living um, a, a, a godly life, so to speak. I remember like, you know, the, there's beautiful things. Like I, I had the realization that, you know, there's, you're not meant to um, flick away flies or whatever, yes. or, or creatures that come to you or anything, that kind of stuff. And I don't know if I if I'd read this or it was just a thought to my own mind, but it was like, for me, it was thinking about death and the fact that we're so powerless and, and we're going to be sat there in our coffin and we're going to be in a state where we can't do anything, where even the flies, the smallest flies on our body, we won't be able to flick away. And, and just how insignificant we are and how powerless we are in, in the eyes of God mm. or how, how small we are in the eyes of God. Um, and, and to think that I've, I've come back from there and then have managed to return to sin and pretend like these kind of profound experiences haven't happened in my life to myself. Yes. I mean, do you know what I mean? Where we, yes. we completely forget everything that we've been to and all these amazing experiences we've had. Um, that kind of the, the roller coaster of life, I guess, the ups yes. and downs that we have spiritually. The question for me is about how we maintain the highs and minimize and reduce the lows. Yes. I think... Of course, this is a natural occurrence. So many of us can relate to that. I can relate to that. And it shows you the nature of the human being is that he's forgetful. And sometimes when it comes to, you know, Arabic etymology and they say insan, that it may come from nisyan because, you know, he forgets. So we fall into heedlessness. We fall into ghafla. Yeah. But there's always an opportunity to come back and awaken and come back to yaqda. Sometimes we think we're awake for two, three months, we'd be asleep. And then once we do wake up, realize, whoa, I've been awake this whole time. I think the first thing to realize is that you are in absolute poverty. There's nothing coming from you. There's nothing you can do except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does it for you. That you have to seek Allah's help. You're not doing it on your own. You cannot rely upon yourself. So the first thing I would say is come to Allah in prayer. A lot of people, for some reason, they theoretically can accept this, but they would refuse to come and say, well, at the end of the day, I'll just do it myself. I mean, if I pray or I don't pray to God about this, if I ask him for it or not, I'm still going to do it if I do it with my actions. It almost to say that prayer dua has no actual cause and effect, but causes and effects are not always physical. 
There are causes and effects which are on the transcendent sphere that if you were to pray, something will change inside you. That if you didn't pray, it wouldn't have changed. So the first thing to do is, Ya Allah, allow me to always have you on the forefront of my mind, to be awakened. Do not allow me to stay within myself. As Imam Sajjad says in Dua Maqarm al-Akhlaq, not to leave me to myself, even for the blink of an eye. Don't leave me to myself. Always stay with me. So the first thing is to actually want Allah to allow you to be with Him. So you have to want this. You have to desire this. That's the first thing. A lot of us don't want it. In, when we're motivated, we say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. When you leave, you don't want it anymore. Hmm. It's much easier to just not live with it. So you don't want it. So we have to be honest. Do I even want this? Like, do I, so you have to admit to yourself, okay, Ya Allah, I want this. I desire this. The rest of it, if you accept to yourself that you are faqir, that you have nothing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the infinite ocean. Allah gives completely. He's daimul fadli ala al-bariya. But if you go to the ocean, you take with you a small cup and you complain to the ocean, why do you only give me this much water? Then it's not, it's not the ocean's fault. It's your fault. You take a container with you and the container of the human being is transcendent. Again, it's mutajarrid. It's something that is not physical. So you have an infinite container. So you can take as much, as, as much knowledge as Allah will give. It never finishes. You can take as much power as Allah wants to give. It doesn't finish. Because of the reality of the human being, it's not physical. You are, in truth, eternal. So this is the first thing I would say, the spiritual aspect. The physical aspect, look, we have order in our tradition. It needs order. You have to have a plan. When it comes to a business, do you just go with it? Just, bismillah, let me just start up the business. That's, how the, that's how the Muslim vibe started. <laughs> I mean, you guys must have had a business plan though, no? no? We had a plan, of course. Okay, yeah, yeah. no one. So why is it when it comes to our finances, we have all these plans? And when it comes to marriage, we have all these plans. But when it comes to our relationship with Allah, there's no plan. It's just like, how do I do this? Yeah, Habibi, there's 1,400 years of tradition telling you how to do this. It's right there for you. Mm. When it comes to your sleep, when it comes to your worship, when it comes to your actions, when it comes to your sins, when it comes to your repentance, it's just that you have to have order for it. You have to schedule it. You have to have a plan for it. You have to know how to interact with the people with Allah at the forefront of your mind. At the end of the day, Habibullah, Rasulullah, the beloved of Allah, that's his name, that's his everyone. Kalimullah, the one who spoke to Allah is Musa. Ruhullah, the spirit of Allah is Jesus. Khalilullah, the friend of Allah is Abraham. And Habibullah is Muhammad. Habibullah, okay, he is the Habib, that's his path, the path of love. In kuntum tuhibbun Allah, fattabi'uni, Allah. If you claim to love Allah, then follow me, Allah will love you, as it's mentioned in the Quran. So if you follow Rasulullah, Allah will love you. If you claim to love Allah, follow Rasulullah, Allah will love you. Okay, Ya Rasulullah, you are the perfect example for me. How did you live? What's your sunnah? I follow that sunnah. So if I have to wake up a little bit in the middle of the night to contemplate upon, as you mentioned, you, you were talking about your contemplations. Look how long that stayed with you. Contemplation doesn't happen only in Hajj. Contemplation happens at home in the middle of the night. Contemplation happens wherever you are. When you contemplate upon, even if you meditate upon, upon your body, Someone washing it whilst it's lifeless. Contemplate and imagine it. You know, the ghusl being performed. The kafan being rolled in. You being put into your grave. You're contemplating upon death here. Meditating upon death. There are so many different meditations to have. Upon what Allah has given you in your life. How many times he's answered your questions when you had doubts. How many times he's provided for you when you were stressed and you didn't know how you're going to live. You didn't have to. When you saw the ant being provided for. 
And then you realize Allah will provide for me, just like he always has. The contemplations alter your paradigm. You have to have a paradigm shift, this paradigm shift. So when it comes to sincerity, the ultimate point is that no worshiper of Allah, no friend of Allah and no beloved of Allah has ever called themselves sincere. So this is a focal point. Once you start believing that you're sincere, it's dangerous. You have to stop yourself because you always have to be questioning your own self. I have to do better. I have to do more. I have to do better. As soon as you say, I'm sincere, it's like, you know, when they say, in my humble opinion, you know, that's not very humble of you, is it? I mean, I know it's a figure of speech and it's not the same, but okay, I'm sincere. There's not a very sincere way of going about things. If you ask our greatest shuyukh on their deathbed, are you sincere? He would tell you, Allah knows, inshallah, whatever Allah wills, I will try my best. He would never say yes. In fact, most of them cry for all the actions they believe were not sincere. Because you have to leave all of those things to Allah. And for sincerity, something that begins sincerely, like you mentioned, may be lost over time. So you have to always question yourself, am I still sincere? And if not, then you have to take a precaution right now. Damage limitation. You have to go, face the Qibla, sit down, read a page of the Quran, close your eyes, speak to God. Lord, I'm going through a hard time right now. All the du'as are there. By the way, the du'as speak to you knowing you're like this. That's what's so amazing about them. Don't think that therefore this mystic that only he can understand. This literally the du'a says, you know, I'm the one who sinned against the master of the universe. I'm the one who did so and so. Lord, my heart is darkened right now. So, remove the love of the dunya from my heart. I'm going through a hard time. I can only do it with you next to me. You think Allah is not going to respond? Lord, I want to be sincere to you. Help me be sincere to you. That's a sincere prayer. Do you see the irony of it? But the beauty of it at the same time? Yeah, it's. Um, I, I was thinking just now of like, in you mentioned Abu Hamza. Um, the, 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 the lines in there that talk about like, why would I not cry? When I think of, of, of the darkness of the grave and of the questioning of the angels and of my family members leaving me and, and like you, you, when you read lines like that, you realize this is, this is for me, this is for you. You know what I mean? This yes. is like, these are our genuine fears. Like yes. we think about death and, and the problem, I guess, is that I think a lot of us don't think about death. Um, so we're not really mindful. So like, I remember the first time that I came across these lines in this, I was like, wow, this is, uh quite intense like i've never i've never thought about death in this much depth and like and, and as you say like you start visualizing yourself and your family members and your funeral and it's it's scary as hell because then you start thinking about all of the sins you've committed and all the wrongs that you've done and all, all the the times that you've you could have been doing something good and positive but you've just wasted it or or whatever um and i th i think there is um yeah it's interesting because because what you're kind of i guess pointing towards is is the the, the, the prayers and the du'as and the supplications that we have is almost being the, the guide yes. towards getting closer to God. Yes, the catalysts. It's all there for you. It's there for you. And subhanAllah, yani we went from speaking about love to speaking about remembering death. And this is the balance. We are always in between khawf, warajat, fear and hope. Mm. Our path is very balanced. This is what I meant by having love, but also having tradition and objective path to follow rules and commands to follow to bring something back but it's it's very much also i think it's interesting because it feels to me like it's more about the refinement of yourself 
than of your external actions. So what I mean by that is like, you know, you can build an orphanage, you can fund a school, you can do a million good things. But ultimately, if your intention is not sincere, if you're, you haven't unified your will, as we spoke about earlier, it's all a bit futile. Yes. Um, that's how I feel personally. I, I'm, I'm glad you agree. Islam says the same. But, but, but it's, it's weird because like I, I've also in my own personal life kind of come to some of these realizations recently where it's like actually um, refining yourself is such a difficult thing because we, we build ourselves and we, we construct a narrative for ourselves that tell us that we are X, Y, Z, that, oh, we're good, we're complete, we've done well, whatever. Um, but you have to like really fight against yourself to see yourself. And, and I think like, you know, marriage is definitely one of those places where you're confronted with your true self because you've got somebody holding up a mirror to you constantly um, and, and, and pointing out your flaws that you thought weren't flaws. So, you know, a basic example, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before. If you come home and you're very lazy after work and you just sit on the sofa for like five hours watching Netflix and you think that like you're a super active guy and you're not lazy and then your wife's like, what the hell are you doing? You're sitting around doing nothing. Like at that point, you're like, oh yeah, actually, yeah, maybe I, or you can fight it and say, no, 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 I'm tired. I'm this, I, I'm entitled to this. But actually there's, there's almost untapped potential or like you're, you're doing wrong things. Um, not in this example, but generally, and, and you're confronted with that. Um, but it's difficult. I think that's the thing, like to, to really, and as you say, it does come back to kind of reflection. And like when I've had those moments of like analyzing kind of myself, and and really trying to to see where I'm going wrong, it it can be quite scary because like I've had moments where I've realized actually I've um, constructed a whole narrative in my head that's entirely false. Now if I strip that away, what am I? Do you know? Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's very daunting and very overwhelming. And it's like, all right, now now how do I approach the world in a different way where I open myself up? Um, Whereas before I was closed, but now that has its own uh, realities to it. Um, so this is getting a bit... No, I mean, uh, what's, what's beautiful about this is that even right now, um, a lot of people are yearning for spirituality. Yeah. Muslims, non-Muslims alike, people who don't believe in religion itself, yearning for spirituality. I mean, uh, Sam Harris recently had this uh, app, the Waking Up app on meditation. Because he realized that even atheists need some form of spirituality in their lives, right? Because the fitrah tells you that. So you'll see that right now, you know, someone who's really popular in the world of mindfulness is Eckhart Tolle. And if you read his book, A New Earth or The Power of Now, then you'd look at him speaking about exactly what you're speaking about. This ego that you've constructed for yourself, built on your thoughts that if you just removed yourself from them for a moment, you would realize you're not your thoughts. Mm. You're not all these ideas. And then you are faced with the question of who you are and you are the one who is watching, listening, observing. And then, of course, when it comes to our spiritual tradition, we speak about the nafs and what the nafs is. And that's why when the warriors came back from a battle, the Prophet Muhammad told them, welcome to those who returned from the minor jihad, the small war, the small battle, the minor battle. And they just thought to themselves, you know, imagine standing there with a sword and you're bloody and you just went through a madness right now. And then you're yeah. just like, uh, what's the greater battle if this was the minor battle? And he says, the greater jihad is jihad al-nafs. Of course, we all know this hadith, but it's a very powerful hadith because it's the struggle against the self is really the toughest battle you're ever going to go through. And the way that the ulama always describe it is through imagining yourself in the middle and you're in between two camps. 
and one is called Junud al-Shaytan, the soldiers of Satan, and the other is Junud al-Rahman, the soldiers of the merciful one. And you're in the middle and they're always fighting over you. And you have to be trying to go towards, of course, Junud al-Rahman. And every time Junud al-Shaytan tried to take you away, you're getting further away from Junud al-Rahman, the angels, the ones trying to bring you to them. And every time you go towards the angels and Junud al-Rahman, the, the satanic forces move further away from you. And the reason why this is such a difficult battle is because this is ongoing until you die. And there's no breaks. You can't go on holiday. There's no off-season. This is literally until you die. As soon as you let go, your default position gravitates towards Junud al-Shaytan because it's much easier. It's much harder. You love the side of Junud al-Rahman. But deep down, you might believe that nice guys finish last and it's just too long and too hard and too difficult. So you always have to be putting an extra effort to go towards the camp of the merciful one. And so once one realizes that one of the most difficult things to do is to be fully honest with yourself. I mean, what makes a good person? You have to ask yourself that question. We know that a person who is honest is better than a person who is a liar. We know that a person who is selfless and sacrificial is better than a narcissist. No one will say otherwise. Who can say otherwise? So why is that the case? Because you believe in an objective truth where this is good and this is bad. This is what God wants, the good. And this is what God does not want. So if you start sitting with yourself, always denying any point that someone gives you about what you should work on yourself with, then you have to start. I mean, can you even ask yourself a question in that time? You've allowed yourself to go too far. You will need a miracle to bring you back at mm. that point because you no, no longer can even ask yourself a question. So whilst you still can ask yourself a question and be honest with yourself, you should be. Even if it's something difficult for you to, to have, to understand, to believe, if, someone, if someone's wife told them you should work on this and you believe that you were doing so great when it came to this attribute, so it's really hard for you to accept that. But hey, maybe she's right. I mean, what's the loss if I try a bit harder with this? I mean, yeah, I might be a little bit offended right now, but maybe she's right and she's looking out for me. Same with your friends. At the end of the day, you have to really take care of who's around you. Your friends, your wife, your parents, and everyone else. No, everyone's going to be a positive influence in your life when it comes to God. And you have to realize that when we have you know, a load of apples and there's one rotten apple and we put it with all the other apples and we close the bag, all the apples become rotten too. And that's where the analogy of the bad apple comes from. You know, I've always struggled with, with what you just said is that, <clears throat> for example, let's take me and you. I want you to be around me because you're a positive influence on me. But then I would technically be a negative influence on you. No, you wouldn't. I, I think so. And I'd like to be around you too. We spend enough time together, I'll be a negative influence. But what I mean is that like, there's all, you, like in some circumstances, you know that you're having a, a the, the net result is that you're having more of a positive impact on the other person than them negative impact negatively impacting you right mm -hmm. if everybody is striving to be around people better than themselves or people that will bring them closer to god like it, it's practically not always possible do you know what i mean and especially like again i i, I think very practically right so i'm thinking about friend circles and things like that often people will have friends that they've grown up with you know guys that you've you've known for 10 15 years you can't just cut someone out of your life because oh, I actually I realized that you're you're, you're a negative influence. Of course, of course. How how again getting very practical here, but how do you kind of manage that? Sure. And even family members as well. You know, you mentioned wife and and uh, parents. 
could be your own kids, right? It could be cousins, could be whatever. But how do you manage that when you're trying to balance kind of Salah Raham and whatever else and making sure that you're doing your duty towards people but not letting them yes. impact you? I mean, look, first of all, when we come to try to change our lives, we can't be robotic about it. You'll hurt yourself a lot more. So you think, I want to be religious. So you start acting like a robot, cutting this person out. You have a criteria. This person's better. Let me be like this. That's not really how it works. Humanity is much more fluid than that. And you'll realize I'm glad you realize that. that. You cut me out for like two years. No, stuck. I, did, <laughs> I cut everyone out, man. I went and lived in a mountain. Lived in a mountain, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like that, was, that was my retreatment time. I needed that. Um, no, so I would say that when it, to be human is to empathize. Empathy is key. So you have to always feel whoever they are, whatever they are, whatever they're doing. I would say that it's wrong to think that I always have to be with someone better than me, better than me, and think also that it's impossible because not everyone's on the same spiritual level. A husband may be more spiritual than a wife or vice versa. A parents may be more spiritual than the child or vice versa. What we can do is make sure that when we are together, we can speak about God, that you don't speak negatively or do things around me that bring me down. Mm. So if yeah, if your friends are not going to respect you enough that they would bring alcohol and put it on a table in front of you when you go out for a meal, then you have to start considering if you know they're really worthy for you to be giving that much time to. But if your friends understand that, hey, you know, when Salim's around, I don't want to, he doesn't like it when I drink. I can drink when I'm on my own. He doesn't like when I do this and that or when I swear. I mean, I respect his presence, so I wouldn't do those things. So that person who perhaps is so far away from your tradition, but you grew up with, can remain in your life in, you know, in that instant. And if they don't want to, that's up to them. That's okay. But you have rules now for how you want to live your life. You love this person. You're there for this person. You invite them to your home. You, you make a meal for them. Everything else, like you spend time. But you spend time how you want to spend time. You don't spend time based on their rules, you know, and what they speak about. And if they want to, you know, speak about all, these, all this nonsense of mm-hmm. the world and dunya, if you spend enough time with people of dunya, you become like them. So if you want to help people of dunya, it's not that you go there and you act as, as you know, Rumi, but you go there and literally don't speak about just dunya. You, St- steer it away. Yeah, steer it yeah. Watch, watch a football game. Do, you know, it doesn't have to be um, like you're sitting in a masjid. Like do what you, have fun, but just make sure that you're not going towards sin or going towards what is disliked by Allah. That's one. Number two is there's always going to be a difference between one who loves Allah and one who does not. You're going to feel different with that person. And if you want to manifest the name of Al-Hadi, you know, the guider, the guide, because we need to manifest Allah's names, then you have to be also think, be thinking about other people who need that around you. And you yourself have to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that guidance. So even if someone is at a level above you spiritually, perhaps, I mean, there's a reason for why he's or she's on that level. And... That means that they are able to purify some people around them. God gives them that. God sends people into your life like that. You need that. I look at my teacher. I, I laugh when people think about me as, as some sort of teacher or anything because I feel like, oh man, if only you knew my teacher. I mean, that's a real teacher. That's a real sheikh. I feel like I, I'm, I'm a shadow in comparison to him because I even tell him till now, I'm in London. I tell him, sheikh, I need to see you once a week. You know, we, we go and we have a, a video chat. I'm like, I just need to see you because looking upon the face of the alim is ibadah. Looking upon the face of the man who is, has the knowledge of Allah is worship. So when I see his face, I feel tranquility. I need that. He's not brought down at all because of me. I believe I'm way less than him. It's not I believe I am. He's not brought down. He has enough power to give out because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-ghani. 
He can give as much wealth to one of his slaves as he wants. A slave like that. We, could, we should all aspire to be slaves like that. Like water. And then purify those around us at the same time. Show them there's always a way back. Muslim or not. And there are different ways in which we act with these people. But those who wish to bring us away with their own paradigms and their worldviews. That's where you have to put a red line down. Mm. You see? Rahman and Rahim. Allah is Rahman and Rahim. Rahman's for everyone. Rahim is only for the mu'mineen. You want to manifest both. Um, so we've got a little bit more time. I think what's interesting is, is that throughout this, we've been talking about the nafs. And, and you said something actually earlier about um, our, our cup. Mm. Uh, it, was, it wasn't you didn't refer to it as our cup there was i'm sure there was an islamic yes, term yes. for it but you know our cup that we take to god and and we take what we want from the ocean of allah basically and and it's not um it's not confined like our bodies are are physically constrained and limited it's eternal is the word you used um so big question <laughs> tell me about the nafs okay when, when you come to the ancient philosophers uh, mainly, uh, I would say Avicenna, Ibn Sina, Sheikh al-Rais. His theory and philosophy on the essence of the human being, what the reality of the human being actually is, was the predominant theory for a long time until another scale, scholar came by. What Ibn Sina believed was that the human being's essence, and it's just a moment when I explain what I mean by essence and what I mean by accident, because they're philosophical terms. The essence of a thing, the jawhar of a thing, is when it cannot be replaced. It provides the thing with its identity. If you remove this essence, this that, it is no longer that thing. This essence is essential to the identity of this thing. Whereas an accident is not essential to the identity of this thing. An accident can come and go. It can be replaced. But it's with a thing, let's say. But it's not part of the essence, the identity of the thing. So, for example, let's say this chair that I'm, that I'm sitting on right now, a chair, a part of the essence of the chair is that there's a seat. If there's no seat, it's not a chair. Otherwise, what does it do? I can't identify it as a chair anymore. There's no seat. However, what the chair is made out of, wood or metal, or that's an accident. Because if it's made out of wood and or metal, it doesn't change it from being a chair. It's just a different material that it's made from. Okay. So, we come to the human being. What is the essence of the human being that I can identify the human being as? And what is the accident? So the human being, Ibn Sina says, is unchanging. His essence cannot change. He's born with the essence. Whatever your jawhar is, dependent on you know your parents and everything else, whatever you are, whatever has been done before you were born, you're born with this essence. And this is you. This is your identity forever. The most you can do in life is decorate it with accidents. So you give charity, good actions, everything that you do, you decorate that essence. I'll give you an example. For, for example, let's say we went to a church and it had really uh, broken down walls and bricks, very old, ancient church. And I brought the most splendid golden paint and painted over the walls. And now the walls look brand new. However, it's still a very shaky wall. Still very old bricks. Ibn Sina basically says, that's it. That's the most you can hope for. You can decorate yourself as much as you can. And when you die, all those decorations you took with you, that's what you take with you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
This was the case for about 400 years until a man by the name of Mullah Sadra came by. So now we went a little bit from love to philosophy, but inshallah we went through the hard part now. And this is what I find really beautiful though. Mullah Sadra, beautiful. He says, he would contemplate over what Ibn Sina's theory was. He would go to Fatima Masuma's shrine, alayhi He would sit there and contemplate because he had a philosophy that was based on not only intellect. He believed in Irfan, Burhan, Quran. So he believed in visions and then finding textual evidence for those visions, which he calls uh, Quran, and then finding rational proofs for those visions, which he calls Burhan. So rational proofs, Quranic texts, and sacred texts, and spiritual vision. And he would have such visions, and he would provide the rational proof for them and the Quranic proof for them. And he says, no, it's not how Ibn Sina says that, what you're born with as your essence is there forever. He says that your essence, he says, which means that one of the stations of the accident is of the stations of the essence, which means that the essence can be created. The accidents are not actually accidents that remain outside, but your essence is made by literally what you do. So your essence changes. He believes in this in this movement of moving from potentiality to actuality always in essence. So your essence before this podcast was different to it after this podcast, depending on your knowledge that you gained or lost, depending on what you've done before yesterday till today. Every day is a new you being born based on your actions. So what you do literally is who you are. It means that every action you make, if you glance at your parents in a certain way, that becomes you, a part of your essence. It literally is you and your identity. It's not an attribute that's you know, attached to you. Mm. It's you. What that means, why is it so important? Because you are you when you die. When you die and your physical state leaves and remains in this world, whatever you created continues forever. So you are creating yourself right now. Every day. Every day, as we speak, you are the creator of yourself for eternity. As Alama Tabatwa says, You are an eternal creation. So act in terms of infinity. Don't act in terms of 70 years. Act in terms of forever because you're going to live forever. And this is where the concept of Tajasud al-A'mal comes in. Because in Barzakh, we believe we begin to see the realities, our actions as realities. People begin to come in hideous forms. People that we know, we can identify them. We know that's him, but he looks hideous in his form. He created himself. That was his reality in that way. You'll see beings of light come to you and protect you. Who are you? I'm Surah Al-Mulk that you always used to read every Thursday. I'm here to protect you and guide you in Barzakh. You created me through your actions. We create beings that we're going to meet in the next world based on our actions, at the same time creating our own essence according to Mullah Sadra, which I find really beautiful and scary. I remember when we were learning this and then everyone just sat down and the teacher says, everyone okay? Everyone's scared? It's scary, isn't it? Because now any movement you make, is <laughs> you're making yourself. You're creating yourself forever. So it's a high-risk game. It's a high-risk game. But this is, this is the reality of the essence of the human being. So what's really interesting is actually like two days ago, I, I was watching a, a video someone had posted on Instagram 
and it was basically saying that um, it, it, I can't remember how it was framed. But it was saying something along the lines of every day uh, you fight against a version of you from the day before. So let's say tonight at midnight, a version of you is created. Tomorrow night at midnight, there's going to be another version of you. And you have to fight against your previous self. And the way that you can beat them or lose to them is if you've basically bettered yourself or reduced yourself um, from the previous day in that day. So that, that how we have to strive is that every day we should be a better version of ourselves than our previous self. Mm. And that's the kind of eternal struggle every single day. I've definitely butchered the delivery of that, but no, the, the concept is very similar to kind of what you're saying, right? That we kind of manifest, it, it's, it's a lot to, to, to think about, um, but the fact that our actions are us, yes, that we, we, we're a collection of kind of everything that we do and say and think. Yeah, we are. Um, we are, that's what makes you, all the cells in your body right now, there is not one cell that is the same as the cells that you were born with. Mm. But how are you still Salim? And how am I supposed to still speaking to you right now? The essence, right? How do I identify you? The essence. So again, I, I, I keep doing this whole practical thing, but what does that mean for us practically? Practically, again, we bring it down. SubhanAllah, it's all there for us. Again, in the tradition, I'll answer all your questions always with the same answer, basically. The tradition shows you, how do I live my daily life? And if I want a bit extra, what do I have to do? Mm. For those of you who are not waking up for Fajr, for example, uh, why not? Are you why are you not waking up for Fajr? Because when you begin your day with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're telling him you're more important than everything else. You're more important than my sleep. So it depends on where you are, really, when you want to ask practically, how do I do this? It depends on where you are right now. If you're already praying Fajr, you want more? Begin with Salatul Layl once per week. Once per week. Build a program, a spiritual program for yourself. Quran, two pages a day. One dua. Dua Abu Hamza al is too long? Read one page of it per day. Put it on. You want to read it? Put it on. On YouTube. It's all on there. It's all, it's all translated. Five minutes per day. But make sure that you build a program. 40 days. Rasulullah always had these traditions where he would tell you 40 days. 40 days. Commit to something for 40 days. 40 days. Tell yourself, I'm going to fast every Friday, for example. Tell yourself, on Fridays, I'll always read Surah Al-Kahf, for example. Commit to one action. That's it. I remember one action. last year, you, you gave similar advice, but you basically said that if you want to get on the kind of spiritual path, don't do all these recommended stuff if you're not doing your wajibat. Yes. Keep it simple. Let's keep it simple. Start with the basics. So I, I think that's the other thing, right? We always want that fast track to like... Being able to see visions and dreams and all these amazing things, it but work it's, that way. yeah, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, think about it. If I was to clean this table with one big wash once a year, it won't be the same as me just cleaning it with a cloth a little bit each day. Yeah. It's better to clean it a little bit each day. People want to do too much too fast. Choose one thing, one commitment, one action, and stick to it, no matter what. Just stick to it, and that one thing will be based on where you are right now. So if you're already spiritually suffering, let's say, and you're not doing your wajibat, focus on your wajibat. Get them all done on your obligatory actions. And if you're already doing all of them, think of one thing. Even if it's just tasbih, tasbih al-zahra, even if it's just saying Allahu Akbar 34 times, Alhamdulillah 33 times, and SubhanAllah 33 times after salat. Just that action. Mm. Very simple. Takes one minute. Every day. And so so personally, I've, I've come to the kind of conclusion that it's not about the destination it's about the journey so what i mean by that is that you know let's say someone 
tomorrow decides, actually, you know what? I need to fix up. I need to start doing X, Y, Z. I can't do everything. I can't do all these mustahab things and whatever because it's too far away. Let me focus on this. If the intention is that I'm starting this journey and their life was to be taken from them, for me, it's like that's enough. And, and the reason I say that is because when I look at, for example, and coming back to the Muslim vibe, right? We, you know, one of the things that we want to combat is Islamophobia and Islamophobic narratives and whatever else. I've realized we're not going to be able to single-handedly do that, right? But then I always think about that, that lizard, I think it was, with the prophet in the fire and who was just doing his little bit and, and, and chucking the water in his mouth um, on the fire, even though he knew he couldn't put it out, but at least he wants to tell God, okay, I did my bit, I tried. And so, again, I, I don't know how, how that resonates with you, but I, I definitely feel like it's, for us, it's about making the most of what we have and, and doing what we can at our disposal in the, in the limited capacity we have. And, and so long as the intention is there, that's all that we can do, as I see it. I always find the tradition so beautiful when Prophet Muhammad says, if you're going to plant a tree and the final hour has come, plant that tree. Mm. SubhanAllah. And that tells you everything. I agree with you 100%. I agree with you. In fact, that's what I mean by unifying your will with the will of Allah. Once you decide that I will, that's it. You have. It's not that it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. It's that they are the same thing. The journey is the destination. Mm. But again, we, we, we get too lost in the destination. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. We think that's where I need to be, but that's too far. Yes. I can't reach that. Yeah. Or like, oh, no, no, no that, that, that's impossible. I don't want to be like, you know, you know all these kind of things. Mm. And again, there's elements of like our own internal shaitan making excuses for us to, you know, why we shouldn't embark on a certain journey. But I think if we're able to kind of recenter our minds to appreciate that it's not about the end this it's not about that achieving something it's about being on that path that's the most important thing because i again we i feel like we're geared in a very um like dunya way so you know you talk about going to the gym or losing weight you have a target number 85 kilos that's my target 85 kilos is is where i want to hit right and it's like I'm far away. Are you, were you looking at me? No, no, I was coughing. Oh, you were coughing. <laughs> I thought you were just <laughs> coming to check out. Um, so 85 kilos, that's where I want to hit, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm working towards that. But that's a fixed number. And when I've done it, I've done it, mm. right? But when it comes to like spiritual matters, there's no fixed destination. It's an ongoing cycle. So it doesn't matter for me, at least, if you're right at the beginning or you're right at the end, there is no end, obviously, but how far along you are, sure. it's, and as you said, like, you know, you're never going to say I'm sincere because th there is no end point and with that's this. that's the beauty of it. It means that you have infinite potential. Yeah. You can keep going as, as much as you put into it. But at the same time, you have to have many goals that you achieve for your own self mm. as many destinations to keep you going on this because you need a plan. Yeah. And, and I, I guess also, I mean, there are things like... Uh, going to shout out a, a product uh, a friend of mine has uh, the gym journal um, and this is basically it's like a journal where you where you literally every day you write down like good actions that you've done things you want to achieve for the following day all of that kind of stuff but it's all based on your deeds it's all based on on, on like and it's a very you know it, it's not about like oh I've got a meeting at five o'clock or this it's literally just about what you want to achieve in the day or what you've done in the previous day um, my wife got one of these. I think I, I think I got it for her or something. Eid, something happened, and and she is in possession of one of these books. Um, but I I love that, um, and, and I think there are 
little tools that people can use and implement. And, and as you said, like, you know, writing a plan and, and having a strategy for this. Like you said, you don't enter a business without any paperwork. So why would you do that for your own kind of spiritual journey, you right? Take it seriously. Like you take anything seriously. Yeah. Yeah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us all to take the journey to him seriously. Inshallah. I think, I think, yeah, that's probably a, a good place to end. Thank you um, for, this is your first podcast you said, right? Yeah, yeah. How was it? Alhamdulillah, it was very pleasant. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. You're welcome. I get to look at you the whole time. <laughs> um, but no, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate My it. My absolute pleasure. And and hopefully we can do um, do this again sometime. Because like, as I said, we wanted to discuss a, a bunch of things on this and we only kind of covered love. Um but yeah, this has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much. You, and Salim. inshallah again soon. Habib, my pleasure. Inshallah. Inshallah. So guys, um, that was my conversation with uh, Sayyid Hussain Maki. I, not, it sounds weird saying that for me, but yeah, Hussain. Um, I really enjoyed that conversation as I always do. Um, as I mentioned right at the beginning, I love chatting to him generally. Um, and there's like a certain thing about this kind of this notion of love of Allah and and I you know that 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 line that kind of stuck with me um, about unifying your will with the will of Allah uh, it's it's a really beautiful concept but I think the difficulty for for me and you is kind of practically being able to implement that um, because in in a theoretical conversation it's so beautiful and it's so easy um, and that's why I kept trying to ask like okay what's the practical reality of this what does this mean how does this work um, because I always find that, you know, when I, when I step away from, from these kind of conversations and I feel pumped, I'm like, yeah, I can do this. Um, but it very quickly, you know, you come kind of crashing back to reality. And that's something that I think we all kind of struggle with and we need to try and um, navigate. And I think that is what being human is, right? Like we understand the, the greater realities, let's say, of, of, of existence, um, but actually fulfilling um our purpose and our role and 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 doing what we need to do is 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 often quite difficult and that's that's the test ultimately um but yeah i hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as i did as i mentioned at the beginning um if you would like to hear more um from hussein uh i i can bug him and try and get him back on the podcast uh he i i i i know we can talk about so many other things um, but just just let us know so you can either email on um, editor at the muslim vibe.com or if you just tweet the muslim vibe message us on instagram facebook whatever um, we will see it and i will do my best to get him back on and if you have any suggestions for kind of topics questions anything uh then please please do send them through um that is it for another podcast i believe uh be sure to so if, if this is the first podcast you're listening to then please do make sure you subscribe um wherever you listen to podcasts apple spotify whatever just hit the subscribe button also if the platform you're using has a a, a system where you can rate the podcast then we'd really appreciate a very favorable rating even if you don't really like the podcast uh, I'm assuming you do, but if you don't, then you can still give us five stars. Um, and that is it. Uh, thank you guys very much. As I said, I will be back, inshallah, next week with another podcast. Um, and then we'll see what happens. But I, I, I'm trying to get back into the routine, but things are just a bit manic right now. Uh, but hopefully, 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 hopefully very soon 
we'll settle back um, and and be able to, 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 to get back into the flow of things. Hope everyone is staying safe. Thank you guys very much for tuning in and we'll see you next week, inshallah. Take care.